One of the many criticisms against WCW was that they didn't develop enough of their own talent and didn't push anyone new outside of the usual suspects. For the most part, that was true, but there were a few exceptions to the rule and Diamond Dallas Page was one of them. From Page's unusual start in the wrestling business all the way to reaching the zenith of WCW by winning the World Heavyweight Championship in April 1999, he really did have a feel-good success story. After the WWF purchased WCW in 2001, Page made his debut with the Federation. Page's time in the WWF was a huge letdown and he was hindered by a gimmick that did nothing to play to his strengths and only ended up embarrassing him. Diamond Dallas Page was the first real victim of the new wrestling landscape that was formed after the end of WCW. In this video, we'll take a look in more detail at the wasted WWF career of Diamond Dallas Page. Before getting into wrestling, Page was a successful nightclub owner and by his mid-30s, he was making a small fortune with his own club in Fort Myers, Florida. One day before heading to work, Page flipped on the television and came across the WWF, where Jake the Snake Roberts was delivering a promo down the lens. Page was immediately taken in by Jake's hypnotic promo style, and it would be an image seared into his memory. A few weeks later, Jake Roberts himself walked into Page's bar and the pair struck up a friendship. Before long, all of the WWF's heaviest drinkers and biggest partiers were hitting up DDP's bar. Around the same time, Page started recording his own promotional spots for a local radio station to advertise his nightclub. In the promos, Page would adopt a wrestling manager-style persona. The host saw a lot of potential in Page and put him in touch with a contact at the American Wrestling Association, believing that he would make for a great wrestling personality. Page broke into the AWA as a manager, running with Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka, and later with Kurt Hennig. It would be in the AWA that Page would also first meet his future boss in WCW, Eric Bischoff. Page's work in the AWA also brought him to the attention of Dusty Rhodes, who saw a huge amount of potential in him and so asked him to work for his Florida Championship Wrestling promotion on commentary for a few months. In the late 80s, the AWA started to sink and the Florida promotion also closed its doors, so Page was at a crossroads. He still desperately wanted to work in the wrestling business. The WWF were auditioning at the time for a successor to Jesse Ventura in the role of host and commentator. Unfortunately, Page would botch the audition and the WWF passed on him at the time. So, Page called up Dusty Rhodes, who was now working for WCW. Rhodes told Page that if he was serious, that he needed to sell up and move to Atlanta. Not getting any younger, Page jumped at the opportunity and sold his business. The Diamond Mine was Page's faction of upstart wrestlers in WCW and included the Diamond Stud, aka Scott Hall, Johnny Polo, who would later become Raven, and Kevin Nash in his Vinnie Vegas gimmick. Page had a larger-than-life persona, with an incredible look and lots of catchphrases, and all of that charisma really helped to get the wrestlers he was managing over with the fans. 
Unfortunately for Page, new executive producer Eric Bischoff put the brakes on his progress. Bischoff felt like he was taking too much of the attention away from the real stars of the show, the wrestlers, and so Page was soon relieved of his management duties. After sacrificing his entire life in Florida, Page didn't want to be released from his WCW contract, and so he decided to take a huge gamble and trained how to become a wrestler at WCW's power plant facility. A lot of Page's peers in the wrestling business didn't think the plan would work out. However, Page ended up defying the odds. He spent all day every day at the power plant trying to learn as much as possible and to prove everyone wrong. Page succeeded in his wrestling training and became one of WCW's very few true homegrown superstars. By September 1995, Page had won the WCW television title. At Starcade in December 1997, Page defeated his old friend Kurt Hennig to win the United States Championship. Unlike so many meaningless title wins in wrestling, when Page won this one, he really felt like a worthy champion. Page just kept on going up and up as the decade went on. Spring Stampede in April 1999 was the last truly great pay-per-view. Page achieved what some people thought would be impossible just a few years before he won the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Page became WCW's People's Champion, and through his incredible rise from blue-collar worker to wrestling superstar, the moniker couldn't be more perfect for him. Two years later, and Page would appear in the main event of Greed, wrestling for the same championship at WCW's last ever pay-per-view before the company folded. Page was a wrestling success story in one of the most unlikely places. Surely, now with WCW gone, Page would be a made man in the WWF. It was March 2001 when Vince McMahon purchased the remnants of WCW along with some of the wrestlers' contracts, including Pages. Most of the other main event superstars refused a buyout from McMahon, instead deciding to sit out their contracts with WCW's parent company, AOL Time Warner. Unlike what Goldberg and Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair decided to do, Page negotiated a contract buyout with AOL Time Warner and then immediately signed a contract with the WWF. Since May 2000, The Undertaker had morphed into a sunglasses-wearing, Harley-riding, limp-biscuit-listening biker. He would even ride the motorbike down to the ring. That's how much of a biker he was. Nobody ever explained why The Undertaker had suddenly got real and swapped the wide-brim hat for the bandana. He'd also swapped Paul Bearer for his wife Sarah. This very real version of The Undertaker apparently required very real-world problems to go with it, and so in May 2001, someone started stalking Sarah. This was illustrated through various vignettes. For example, Sarah was shown at home fixing her hair before becoming spooked by a sound outside her window. And then next week, The Undertaker came to the ring to discuss the situation. As The Undertaker emoted for all the fans in attendance, one of them loudly yelled, BORING! The problem with this whole angle was, nobody cared. Were fans supposed to feel sympathy for The Undertaker and his wife? If anything, fans lost respect for him. Instead of handling his business privately, 
he was out in the ring emoting. It wasn't very badass behaviour from the so-called American badass himself. On the June the 18th episode of Raw, The Undertaker's music played and a man in a balaclava rolled down to the ring on his motorcycle. JR on commentary made sure we knew that this was the man that had been stalking The Undertaker's wife. He stood in the middle of the ring and ripped off the balaclava, revealing himself to be DDP. The crowd popped huge for DDP in the arena and loudly chanted his name. The narrative in the intervening years would have you believe that the die-hard WWF fans in the arenas didn't care about WCW wrestlers and they didn't want to see WCW wrestlers. That's simply not true. For every true former WCW superstar that debuted in the WWF, they all got a great reaction. From Scott Steiner to Ric Flair to Goldberg to Diamond Dallas Page, all of those genuine superstars were met positively by WWF fans. It was just the WWF that ruined most of them. The night that Page debuted on Raw would be the last massive pop he would ever get in his career. In his debut promo, Page went on to admit that he never really cared about The Undertaker's wife. Instead, he stalked her because he wanted to get the attention of the biggest dog in the yard, The Undertaker himself. Even in the wacky world of pro wrestling, that reasoning absolutely made no sense whatsoever. And if Page had no interest in Sarah, then that gave the entire feud even less weight than it had in the first place it really seemed like the WWF were making things up as they went along, which is really strange considering the storyline was in place for a long time before Page even signed for the company. In a later interview, Page revealed that the storyline was never even meant for him in the first place. He said, When you're doing something like a stalker idea, they built this storyline and couldn't get anyone to do it. That's the real deal. They wanted Steve Austin to do it, and Austin is like, that. It could have been Sting, or Goldberg, or whoever. And so, the feud between Page and The Undertaker lurched on. At the King of the Ring pay-per-view in June, videos of Page's personal life were put onto the Titan Tron by Sarah. The Undertaker and Page then confronted each other and had a brawl before Page escaped through the crowd. Sarah was filming Paige on her little video camera. Honestly, the entire thing just felt really petty, what with the filming each other and everything. It was just crap, and it did no favours for anybody involved. Speaking of not doing favours, The Undertaker gave Paige absolutely nothing during this feud. It was incredibly one-sided, and The Undertaker ended up burying Paige, making him look like a right chump. Allegedly, The Undertaker accused Page of not knowing how to wrestle properly after Page sold some of his moves differently than expected on a house show. Taker complained to Vince backstage, and as a punishment, Page was forced to lose to Sarah live on Raw in just six seconds. It later emerged that all of the former WCW wrestlers that entered the WWF were selling some of the moves differently than was expected just like Paige had with The Undertaker. It was almost like they were trained differently in WCW, and they just hadn't been retrained in the WWF style. It turns out that WWF wrestlers are trained in a very specific way. Unfortunately for Paige, the accusation was that he couldn't wrestle properly. 
In fact, all of the former WCW wrestlers were treated like second-class citizens upon their arrival in the Federation. It was like a wave of petty bitterness seemed to come over many of the established members of the WWF roster towards their former WCW rivals at the time, including from veterans like The Undertaker and Vince McMahon just stood back and let it happen. There were plenty of promising ex-WCW talents that were quickly put in their place and some were jobbed out entirely. The feud between The Undertaker and Page ended up merging into the Invasion storyline which meant we saw a lot of tag team matches between Page and Canyon, mostly losing to the Brothers of Destruction. Page and Canyon did achieve some very brief success by winning the tag team titles, holding the belts for all of 12 days before losing them to, yep, you guessed it, Kane and The Undertaker. Throughout the rest of 2001, Page's stock slipped massively. He suffered losses to the likes of The Big Show in 29 seconds, and he didn't even appear at the end of the Invasion storyline. 2002 saw a further descent into obscurity for DDP, where he started to appear on a regular basis on Sunday Night Heat. He did win the almost completely irrelevant European Championship from Christian in January, which triggered a nonsense feud between the two men. Page had been turned babyface and given an inspirational, motivational kind of character to play. Christian had been having tantrums after losing his matches and Page tried to help him overcome those tantrums. The feud culminated in a forgettable match at WrestleMania 18. How far Page had fallen in almost exactly three years since first winning that world championship at Spring Stampede back in 1999. Just a month after WrestleMania and Page would be gone from the company, his final match was a three-minute loss to Hardcore Holly on SmackDown. Before walking out the door, Page had been offered the job of commentator by the company, but knowing how much abuse the WWF commentators get down their headsets from Vince McMahon, Page quickly decided to pass on the offer. DDP left the WWF feeling downtrodden and reticent. He said, It beat me down because that stalker angle did nothing for my career. The bottom line is, it taught me, when you have all this money, you can't be afraid to get up and walk away from the table. I should have shook everyone's hand and said, love the idea, but not for DDP. When you want to do people's champion versus people's champion, call me. And I wouldn't have given a shit if I had to put the rock over every night. It would have just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. It would have gotten better and better and better. Knowing Page's work ethic and natural charisma, his career should have continued to flourish in the WWF. Instead, he was just another wasted talent who deserved better. <laughs>